When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About five thousand men were here. But he said to the disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about fifty each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your word would be ministering to us even this morning. Help give us discerning hearts to hear you and give us a boldness to believe what you say. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the account of Jesus that we had just read for us where he feeds 5,000 men and presumably their families with just five loaves and, and two fishes. That story is one of just two stories that's mentioned in all four of the Gospel accounts. The book of Matthew, the book of Mark, the book of Luke and the book of John all have this story in them of Jesus doing this. Uh, the other miraculous thing that's recorded in all four Gospels, the only other miraculous thing that's recorded in all four Gospels is Jesus' resurrection. I suspect it makes sense that those two were the ones that come up the most because they're the ones you'd think with the most witnesses. Hundreds and hundreds of people saw Jesus after he, after he rose from the dead. And here, in this account, there's, we're told, 5,000 men plus women plus children, so perhaps something in the order of, say, 20,000 people who were there eyewitnessing and tasting this epic meal that Jesus puts on in the wilderness that day. And what they see with their eyes, what they touch with their hands, what they put in their bellies, what they taste, becomes a story that each of them are happy to tell to whoever's going to ask them. 20,000 eyewitnesses. And yet the way Luke tells the story, you get the impression that Jesus does this amazing thing, not so much for the 20,000, but for the 12, his 12 disciples. Uh, The disciples, if you noticed, are the focus in this story. It's about how they feel. It's about what they notice. It's about how they react. They're the ones running around, more so than this crowd who's really just the backdrop. And perhaps more than anyone, 
I think it's the 12 who walk away most deeply impacted by what they've just seen. And the story begins with the 12 disciples exhausted. You see that. They're they're excited, but they're really, really tired. They've just come back from, we're not told how long, it could have been weeks on the road, maybe months. So you see, Jesus at the start of chapter 9, he sends out his 12 disciples all over the countryside, to every town and to every village where they could walk. And their orders are to preach the gospel, preach about the fact that Jesus has arrived, about the fact that the real deal kingdom of God has come in the flesh, right here, right now. And to back up those words, Jesus gave these 12 disciples power and authority to heal every kind of sickness. We're told that they even had power over the demonic to cast out demons from people who were possessed. He made them these little miracle workers and preachers in their own right, doing the same sort of thing that Jesus was doing, but he spreads out his work through these 12 men. He sends them off to go from town to town to town, doing this stuff, spreading the name and the news that the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus. And so they went. And where our story picks up again, the 12 disciples, they've just come back together after their big mission. Reunited, probably armed with all sorts of war stories of the weird and wonderful things they did and and saw and the people they met and all the places they went, they report back to Jesus. And you can imagine, there's plenty of the guys there sharing their stories, talking about the things that, that they did and what they saw. They're happy to be together again. And you know what? It's time for a break. It's time to get away, to refuel and to get some rest. Verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. He took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. I remember it's probably more than 10 years ago now, my first uni summer semester break. Uh, The uni kids who are here this morning, have you started class again yet? No, my goodness. You guys been off since you've been off since Christmas, right? And you're still going. Serious. Anyway, I told myself my first uni semester break that I wasn't gonna bludge. I wasn't gonna waste it. I was gonna use my three months of holidays well. And so I signed up for all sorts of things. I signed up for a scripture union family mission, beach mission, uh, up in Tuwoon Bay. Uh, high-energy sort of 10-day thing. You put on a holiday program for campers who, who stay uh, in the caravan park on the coast up there in Tuwoon Bay. Uh, kind of like what we did for Peno Life here just a few weeks ago. But it felt a whole lot more taxing because you're running around with kids all day but you're in the sun, you're at the beach. Uh, and it wasn't just a morning thing. In the afternoon you go and you, you visit them in the caravan parks and you talk to people and there's night activities and you're sleeping in tents and there's no air conditioning and more often than not you're a little bit dehydrated and a little bit sunburned. Uh, but yeah, it's what you do. Beach mission is a thing that many of you I'm sure have done. But I was young and fit and healthy like you probably are too. And sure by the end of the week you're tired but you're doing good work. When I got home from that, I literally threw everything into the wash 
and then everything to the dryer and then back in the bag and I was up to Newcastle for nine days when, because uh, I signed up to Newcastle Alive as well that year, uh, which is the same sort of thing, but up in Newcastle, different team, different program. Another high energy nine, ten days with children and youth and it was good work, really good work. You get home from that on a Sunday and on Monday I sort of threw everything back in the wash and then back in the dryer and then back in the bag and I registered for Katoomba Youth Leadership Convention that year, uh, which is this week-long uh, youth leader sort of training thing to, to help you be a better youth leader because I was helping out a youth group that year. It was really good as well. That, that was a great week. By the time I got to Thursday of Katoomba Youth Leadership Convention, I was a wreck. I hated everyone. <laughs> Which is weird because everyone there, they're the most you know, beautiful and attractive and, and godly young Christian leaders in our, in our state and yet... I hated them, <laughs> which is absurd. Which is, it's, it's not their fault. It was my fault. Because I'd reached my limit. I'd hit the wall emotionally and, and physically, perhaps even spiritually. I, I'm not much of an extrovert, so working with kids and being around a, a team of people for most of a month, that just took everything out of me. It was self-inflicted. I didn't have to sign up to all those things. I probably hadn't learnt to manage my emotional energy very well yet. But I remember how it felt to be emotionally spent, to have nothing left in the tank. And I can imagine what it might have felt like for this team of disciples at the end of their mission. They've just done a whole lot of good work and they're back with Jesus and they're off for their holiday, finding somewhere quiet to recharge. But, verse 11, but the crowds learnt about it and followed him. Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. It's like you finally got your baby to sleep and you've got an hour and a bit to yourself and the phone rings, doesn't it? Every single time. It's relentless. They go on all day, these people around Jesus. And verse 12 tells us that they're with these people until it's almost dinner time. Verse 12. Late into the afternoon, the twelve came to Jesus and said, Send the crowd away, so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. Who, I wonder, show of hands, who's here and you would have come to Jesus with the same observation. At the end of the day, However tired you are, you're the kind of logistics person. And you, you notice this sort of thing. You're practically minded. You notice these problems before they sort of happen and you find solutions. Who would have come to Jesus, brought up the soon-to-be issue that there's a ton of people here and we have no food and they have nowhere to sleep. They, they came out spontaneously. They came out to see Jesus. How are we going to look after these people? Anyone would have... Yeah, some of you, some of you are like that. There's always a few. And their suggestion, I think, is fair. Where are they going to eat? Where are they going to stay? And they say, look, there's still some daylight. Send them away. If you send them away now, they can go home if they live nearby, or if they don't, at least they can go to the surrounding villages and towns and go find some food. They can find somewhere to, somewhere to put down their head for the night. Look, it's time to send these people away. Now Jesus, 
Jesus knows what he's about to do. And Jesus knows exactly how little food the disciples had with them. But he says to them, verse 13, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there, plus women, plus children. I mean, clearly, they don't have enough. But the thought that they entertain briefly is that maybe they could go and, and buy food for everyone. It's the classic, oh no, we're undercated, so let's order some pizza solution. Uh, maybe you've been there. It's terrifying, isn't it? You're, you're hosting a party and you're already stressed and then more people come than, than RSVP'd and you know you've got some food ready but it's not enough. So what do you do? You get on the phone, you call up Pizza Hut and you order some pizza or you go down to the shop and you buy some, buy some barbecue chickens. How much pizza do you need to feed 20,000 people? How much pizza do you need to order? Say you give everyone three slices or something. Uh, so that's... Three-eighths times 20,000 times by about, what, $5 a pizza if you pick it up? That comes to, what, $37,500 you're going to spend on pizza? That's eight months of pay. That's what one of the disciples say uh, in one of the other accounts. Eight months of pay. If They don't have that kind of money on them. They don't have enough. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough money to buy that much food. They're exhausted. There's nothing left in the tank. It's the end of the day and what Jesus asks of them is more than what they can do. Imagine if that was you. Uh, Your boss has just asked you to fulfil a brief that you know you can't pull off. And the deadline is immediate. There's a room full of people ready to listen and you have this much. And what's required is that much. And he says, let's go to the boardroom, you get them seated, let's do this. And then he takes the tiny little bit of work that you've done and somehow uses it to satisfy everybody properly. Look at verse 14. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so. And everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. He gets the disciples to split up the crowd into, it sounds like, 100 groups, each with 50 families in them. Uh, To their credit, the disciples, they... They've been around Jesus for long enough to know that when Jesus asks you to do something, even if it sounds like you don't know what you're doing, 
You just do it. And you see what happens. And there Jesus is. They've broken up the crowd into a hundred groups and Jesus is there and he prays. And he starts breaking this bread and putting it into baskets. Breaking the bread, putting it into baskets. And you're there as one of his disciples. You know how much he started with. Five loaves, two fish. But he keeps breaking and putting and breaking and putting and there's just more and more and more food. And then it's your job to go and take these basketfuls now of food to walk around to these hundred groups of 50 families and to, and to give it out until everyone has had enough. Now, if you're one of the disciples, it doesn't matter how slow you are. By the third or fourth time you've come back to load up another basket full of bread to walk that, walk that road to, to, to deliver it, you've realised, haven't you? You've realised you're taking part in something incredible. And the story could have ended there, but it didn't. The disciples, they knew that they didn't have enough bread to share. They've just spent the whole night running basketfuls out to basketfuls of food out to people. And at the end of the night, Jesus tells these people, these disciples, to go amongst all this, the crowd's gone now, but to go out to this field where they're all sitting and to collect all the leftover pieces. Last bit of work that Jesus gives these disciples. They return with 12 baskets, one for each of them. And it's full of bread, more than enough left over. Maybe more than what they even started with. Now, if you're a disciple... What do you learn from that experience? What do you learn from what happened? It's not a maths question. It's not a catering question. It's a discipleship question. Next time, offer your meagre five loaves, two fish, if that's what is asked of you. When you have not enough, he can supply to the point where you have more than enough left over. You ever feel like Jesus is asking you to do something so much bigger than what you're capable of? Whether it's that Jesus asked you to resist temptation and sin and you hear him but you're thinking it's hopeless. It's hopeless. I'm enslaved to my sin. I can't break it. Maybe Jesus has put on your heart to share him with that uber-resistant family member or friend who's antagonistic and it's just looking impossible. And the relationship is, is not what you, you want it to be. Or maybe God's given you a vision of a direction to go in that's full of obstacles and you have no idea how to get started. You're afraid of what it's going to cost you. It's too much. It's too much. It's more than what you can give. Well, you're not alone, are you? In fact, that's what being a disciple feels like. 
That's the challenge of walking with Jesus. He says things like, you give them something to eat. When he knows full well you don't have enough on your own. That you need to trust him to take what you've got and that he can make up for what you lack. That he can give you more at the end of the day than what you needed. Maybe even more than what you started with. You think this is the first time God fed a bunch of people in the wilderness when they had nothing to eat? It isn't, is it? And yet like it was with Moses, like it was with Elisha, and here again with these disciples, for some reason God chooses to involve people in his work. And their struggle, sometimes even their pain, is part of it. You see in scripture God putting people in situations where there's this real gap between what they see and what he's asked them to believe. As if somehow with all our limitations and all the stresses or the circumstances we're in, he wants us to learn to trust him. And it's on purpose. And it's for our good and it's for his glory. Now praise God that he doesn't need us to be enough before he'll do this thing through us. He says he uses the weak to shame the strong. We see him taking Moses who says, I I, I speak with faltering lips, I can't lead these people. And he uses that that instrument to take his people out from slavery. We see him take uh, Abram, Abraham, this, this really hopeless man in one level, and makes him into an, a nation. He brings something out of nothing for his glory and so that his people learn to trust him. And so whether that's us as individuals uh, who may or may not be exhausted today or whether it's us together as a church looking forward to what God's put on our hearts for the next five years to come. May we be people who've learnt to lift up our eyes from the circumstances which may or may not be ideal right now and up to the one who is able to supply everything that we need and more. Amen.